Hello, and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and this week I'm here with Rick King. Rick is a rad guy, and as you'll get to know from this podcast, he's very passionate about his audio. He's based out of Paducah, Kentucky, and we get into why that is, and as well his production work with bands like Hit the Lights, Thief Club, and Northbound. I think this is a pretty rad episode, so I want you to check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? This morning, I am recording on my Manly Reference Cardioid. It's just nice. my go-to mic for everything. I'm running that through my Avalon 737, which I just got back from um, getting some service done to it. It sat for a couple months. Mm. And uh, so I just got it back, and I'm happy to have it back. And then uh, I think I'll probably... I think I'm throwing it through a distressor as well. The Empirical Labs guys are kind of my family. So... Uh, I've got a couple of different compressors I could have chosen today, but I'm going through the uh, going through the distressor. Very cool. So tell me about your uh, background in music. So I feel like I I probably kind of started just like just like anybody else did. Um, I played in really terrible, terrible, terrible garage bands all through high school, and uh, we got we got better, but we never got good. And then you know I just kept playing and kept playing, and then um, ended up in some bands that started to do a little bit better. And then just had some missed opportunities where that just never ended up working out. And then I got older. I went to school and I, I studied music in school and I like learned a little bit of classical guitar, which I'm not very good at. Did like, you know, I played like trumpet in, in high school and stuff like that. But eventually just I got I got in my 30s and, you know, the the, the dream of playing in a band and going on tour just wasn't really in the cards. And, and I actually became more more and more OK with that, but still enjoyed music. Yeah. So I, this is I'm, I'm doing recording now and that's kind of how I ended up here. So tell me more about that transition into recording. I think it kind of happened a little bit by accident. Um, you know, I think just like anybody else, you know, playing in a band, we would always kind of record demos and that was fun and enjoyed that process. And then um, I remember going into the studio for the first time to somebody who actually knew what they were doing. And just that experience was so great that, uh, like I said, as I kind of got older and that kind of became less and less my thing to go out and play music, 
I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that experience of creating music and having my, my music produced. And I thought, Hey, that, that sounds like fun. Um, why don't I give it a try? So like, I feel like three and a half, four years ago, we came up with this idea that we just start doing this full time and just jump in. And we started out being really terrible. Just like, like with the band stuff, we just, we got progressively less terrible till now, you know, I feel pretty confident and at least a base level of skills. So yeah. Very cool. Um, so tell me about your studio. All right, so I, I run a little studio called King Sound. Um, we are located in uh, Western Kentucky, kind of uh, Nowheresville, also flyover country. Some people call it God's country, and we're kind of but we're kind of like in the crossroads of, of everybody. We everybody's kind of driven by Paducah at some point. Nobody ever really stays here, but they all kind of drive through here. Probably stop at the Cracker Barrel or something on their way to someplace else that's got more stuff going on than we do. It's great though because we we are in the middle of everything. So we run a little recording studio here, and, and the goal was to kind of be someplace that was accessible from just a, a wide range of the country. And so, you know, one of the things that we, I love recording, and, and, and we love working from home. Um, whenever we have bands that come in, uh, we actually started, we had a space that we built in like a, in a warehouse downtown. It was great. We recorded a lot of fun local projects there, and then our building got sold. And so we lost that studio build, and we moved home, and we started recording people out of our house. And it, we thought we were going to end up giving it up, but we just kept getting busier and busier and busier until we couldn't hold people in our house. We couldn't like we had bands that come from out of state stay with us for a couple of weeks, and it was just we were just walking all over each other. So um, we recently just decided to move to a bigger house with more bedrooms and and to build a studio from the ground up. And so here we are. It's a nice little project studio. It's about a thousand square feet. We've got a control room, a live room, vocal booth. It's very cozy. It has a very at home feel to it but it still kind of provides the amenities of like a, a bigger studio with the gear and the, the soundproofing, that sort of thing. Nice. Tell me about something that makes your studio unique. I think one of the things that makes our studio the most unique, or at least more unique than other studios, is just that we have bands stay with us. Mm. Um, when, we get, when we get done at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the tracking day, it's not, you know, cool, good work, we'll see you tomorrow. It's more of a, hey, good work, now what are we going to do for dinner? Mm. And... I feel like it's a little bit different, um, and it's not for everybody. It causes us to kind of handpick the bands that we work with. We want to record bands that we believe in, that we think will be cool and have fun with, that we can make a, a cool memory with, as, along with making a cool record. But yeah, I think that sets us apart. It's more about the experience. I mean, the final product matters, but uh, I think more and more that I that I talk to some of the bands that, that we work with, we they're looking for an experience. They don't have, they didn't they may have gotten a great sounding record at their last place, but maybe the experience wasn't as great. So we're kind of trying to to corner that market, kind of give both sides, give a give a great final product and a great experience along the way. Nice. So, what instruments do you play? I, like I said, I mentioned I played uh, a little bit of trumpet in band. Um, I can't. I don't have the lips for it anymore. I kind of learned a little bit of music theory from that, and I still kind of remember how to play. But I, you won't hear me playing any recordings. I play guitar. I played in some jazz orchestras. I played in. Like, I played a little bit of classical in college, both of which I'm terrible at. Mostly just rock guitar. Um, I can play bar chords all day long, and I, I, I play a little bit of bass and a little bit of keys. That's about it. Nice. So we have that this thing on this podcast where we like to say on one side of the spectrum is Steve Albini, who just kind of 
says good take or not, and then gets good tones, and then you have a John Feldman who fully rewrites your songs. Where do you see yourself <laughs> on that spectrum most of the time? I, you know, I, I, I'm sure everybody says someplace in the middle, and and I don't want to be cliche, but I feel I, like I don't, know about, I don't know about everybody, but but it is common. Okay, sure. I, I do. I think I fall someplace in the middle. I, I think. I, I respect the, the the position that I'm in, and that when a band hires me, um, they're hiring me to do a job that it's their music, it's not my music, and and I try to find bands that understand too that you know if I'm going to produce you, if I'm going to record you, and my name's going on it as well. So I, I I like to I like to find bands that will let me kind of you know coexist in that creative space with them, so that I can put my you know I can put my name on it. If I I feel like something doesn't work, that I I have the the ability to say hey you know guys this isn't working. I think this might work better. So I don't like to be the guy that just hits record. I don't think that's fun. I think a lot of people can do that. I don't think it sets me apart, you know, if that's all I'm doing. So, I, I, but I'm not rewriting people's songs. I definitely respect the art. You know, I, I'm not a great, I don't feel like I'm the best songwriter in the world. I think I have good ideas. Like I can build off other people's ideas, if that makes sense. So I, I don't like to rewrite people's songs, but if somebody comes to me, you know, and they have great source material, and I and I hear something that may need a little reworking. Then I'm happy to do that for them if they'll let me. Very cool. What do you think you bring to records most often? Yeah, you know, I think more often than not, I, I feel like just like the sprinkles. I really like the production stuff. Like I always like to find fun tricks to throw in that you know will take a, a great sounding recording to a or a good sounding recording to a great sounding recording. Whether it's like simple production tricks, like a reverse guitar or, or cymbal or something like that, or gang vocals or, you know, anything that there's nothing that you can really do that hasn't been done, you know, a million times, but we're always looking for fun stuff to do. And I, I love bringing that to the table. Nice. What's a common mistake you ba- see bands do before coming to the studio? You know, I, I think the mistake is more, I think this mistake is, is something that bands do, but I think it's more the engineers, like us as engineers, I think it's our fault. Maybe you've experienced, maybe anybody that listens to this has experienced it too, but I feel like a lot of times bands will come in, they kind of feel like there's this there's this animosity between or like we're on different sides there's the engineer and the musicians and and we have to kind of coexist with each other and put up with each other because we both need something from one another but we're kind of like mortal enemies caught in this eternal battle and and so there's i feel like i always have to like kind of break that wall down because at the end of the day you know we both kind of want the same thing so i think i think that's one of the biggest mistakes is that when a band comes in they think that they have to be at odds with the engineer. And, and I, I put the blame on engineers' faults because I think sometimes we can be a little egotistical. I know I, I, know I have been in the past. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's what it is. That, that we, they come in and they, they, it's almost like we're, we're enemies. And so I try to break that down. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, and I think I think that that is a big thing. Is that it, it, it's not always when when somebody is passing judgment on you, it's not always to see that they're also on the same side as you. Sure, Man, we are. You know, we we all want the same thing. We all come into the studio, and I want it to sound great. They want it to sound great. So let's work together and make it sound great. How about a smart seat thing you see bands do during the recording process? I, you know, maybe I'm old school, but I feel like the smartest stuff that bands bring to the studio is is just the basic stuff. You know, they know their music um, inside and out. You know, they know the, the 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 BPMs of it. They know you know they know the tempo of it. They know what the other band members are playing. So when it comes time for them to track, you know, they're we don't have a guitar player that's you know doing a ripping solo over the bass player's solo. They just know their stuff. They've practiced to a click track with that particular music that we're getting ready to record. And they, and I think just having an idea of of like their final product where it's not just, you know, these are our parts, but they have things like background vocals or harmonies kind of worked out just the more prepared that they are 
bringing good instruments, all that stuff, just the basic stuff. That's always, that's always makes for a good start and usually ends for with a good final product too. Nice. So uh, what happens when you and a band disagree about something? I mean, that happens, you know, it's, it's unavoidable. I think every project you're going to have that. I think that, like I said earlier too, I respect the position that I'm in. I think at the end of the day, it's the band's music and what they say, you know, I think it supersedes what I have to say. But I mean, that being said, I always like to throw out ideas and, and all I ever ask of a band, if they come in, and I feel like something's just not working is like, let's just try this. If you'll try it and we don't like it, then, then we know and we can throw it away and we can move on and we can do what we were originally doing or we can do your idea. But whether it's an idea from me or an idea from, you know, the bass player's girlfriend who's sitting on the couch or whoever, you know, if it's, if it's a half good idea, let's give it a try. But at the end of the day, I think the, the band's, I think their opinions kind of supersede mine. Nice. So let's get into how you feel about some uh, modern production stuff. Do amp simulators dash reapping have a role in your productions? Absolutely. It's funny because I think a lot of people kind of shy away from, I don't want to call it the fake stuff, but you know, and, and I, and I totally understand that. And I, and I get that. And, and I get that argument, but I think that everything kind of has its place. Um, I like to I like to record everything: guitars, bass. I always like to record a DI track, so I don't like to I don't like to commit going in to a sound. Uh, maybe that's just inexperience, or maybe it's just you know maybe it's just my workflow. I don't know, but I don't like to commit to a sound going in. So I, I like to find a great sound, so it, it, we're we're happy while we're tracking. But I like to have that insurance or that flexibility. So yeah, I always record a DI track. You know, it's nice to have that for insurance reasons, like if something just doesn't work or, you know, I don't know, it's just always good to have so we can change things in the mix or later on. And then uh, I have a Kemper. I don't use any other really amp sim simulators, but I, I do have a, a Kemper and I love the thing. It's great um, when somebody comes in with a super cool amp and I don't have it and I like to have it for future use. You know, I can capture it and keep it. And sometimes it's nice for late night. If we don't want to just be blowing up the neighborhood, we can plug in the Kemper and we can track until, you know, whenever. You know, it's also cool for recall, too. Like if we have a band that comes in and the guitarist works a job and they can only record, you know, this Saturday and they didn't finish up and they have to come back next Saturday. I don't have to worry about not moving mics or not bumping in anything. We just plug the Kemper up and we're off and rolling. And it, it's great. Very cool. How about sample dash MIDI program drums? So they're not my favorite. You know, I think anybody anybody with uh, with a laptop and like a hundred dollar interface can download some some drum samples and can make drums sound great. Um, one of the things I like to do as a studio is to provide something that's you know that's more than what you can get in your basement. And if I'm not, then you know there's no real reason to come to me. There's a lot of guys out there doing stuff in their basements that are doing some great stuff. But I still, again, I still think that there's places for things. You know, sometimes you record drums and it's just not happening. Maybe the, the player's not hitting that hard or just maybe just things aren't clicking that day or it's just not the right sound. And sometimes you need a little support or you may need to completely replace it. So I don't turn my nose up to it. I try to avoid it. But, you know, if the opportunity comes up and it's a need, then I, I would rather have the tool to go to use than to not have it, if that makes sense. Nice. How about pitch correction in your productions? Pitch correction, it's funny how much of like a hot button topic pitch correction is. I don't know if you've experienced that. I feel like people... Oh, oh, oh of course, yes. Right? Like it's, you, you almost just don't even want to talk about it. I, in fact, a lot of times I won't even talk about it. I won't tell bands. It's just, I just don't talk about it. But my thoughts are it's essential. I mean, I think our ears are trained for pop music and, you know, a lot of that stuff is is tuned to hell and back. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that everything has to be that, but I think we have an expectation as listeners that things just sound good and in tune. 
I think our voices are acoustic instruments. And if I'm going to tune an acoustic guitar, then I should probably tune my voice too. And, and I think on top of that too, I think vocals are probably, and, and I think, I think drums may be one of the most important parts of, of a recording. I think if a drum sound, if drums sound great, everything else can kind of sound not as great and you can kind of get away with it, but it doesn't work like with a guitar tone. You can have a fantastic guitar tone, but if the drums don't sound great, then the guitar, then the whole recording just doesn't sound great. But I think vocals, well, I, I don't think vocals are as important as the drums. I think they're the most memorable part of a song. You know, when you think about a song, you don't remember the drum part. You remember, you know, you remember the vocals. So I think the vocals are, are I think they're second to drums just a, a tiny bit, but they're still super important. They need to be in tune. And if you record with me, I'm going to pitch correct you. It's just a fact of life. Nice. How about do you uh, master your own records? I don't like to. I think mastering is awful. I hate it. <laughs> I think this. <laughs> how do you feel about it? I mean, I, I, I my, I, I, while I call myself a record producer when I introduce myself at parties, uh-huh. um, <laughs> if I was being accurate, I'd say I was a mastering engineer because I do about 20 to 25 records a week, whereas um, I don't do that many records a week in record production. Okay. Well, and I, I mastering is a lot easier, or not a lot easier. I'm sorry, I did not mean to say that. That's no, a big no-no. no. It's a lot faster. It's a lot more of a yes. Like you, you don't spend nearly as much time, especially if you have great source material. So this is very true. I don't like. It. I think it's a totally different animal. I, I just, I think, I, you know what I, I love about having somebody else master is to have somebody else's ear who I trust on the project, who's kind of outside of that acoustic fishbowl who can kind of listen to something and tell me how bad I did a a job and what I can do to fix it and make it better. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is just making things sound as good as they can. And my experience has been that when I send something to somebody who masters and that's what they focus on, it always comes out better than if I like shove something through and trying to make it as loud as I possibly can. Uh, Agreed. So let's get into some more stuff uh, with your work. How long do you usually like to take to work on a, the recording of a song and then a mix? A lot of that comes down to how, how prepared a band is when they come in, you know, the more prepared they are, um, the better their instruments are set up, the faster everything goes. But uh, I mean, typically I like to spend no more than, you know, a day, a day and a half, maybe two days max. You know, if we really have the if we really have the time budget to allow to spend that amount of time on a song, um, that's just usually not the case. Usually, you know, when guys come in, it's like we've got two weeks and we need to record 20 songs and we just need to hit it and go. But yeah, I mean, I like to spend a day to two days. I think that's a great amount of time to, to really get it in track. And of course, that I don't obviously, you know, don't record just, you know, one song at a time and then move to the next song. But just as a whole, you know, about average out to about a, a day to, to two days on a, on a track. Um, mixing, you know, again, I think a lot of times if we spend the time up front, my experience has been, I'm sure you've probably experienced it too, that the more time you spend up front making sure that things are right, things are in time, things are in tune, it's a good take, the less time you have to spend mixing it. And I think I don't like to spend time mixing. I enjoy when the bands are here. We have a good time when the guys are here. And then when they leave, I get really sad. And I have to sit in that, that, that desk by myself. <laughs> and I don't know if you've experienced this or if anybody else has experienced this, but sometimes when you're sitting there by yourself, like that crippling self-doubt can come in and there's nobody there to joke with and there's nobody there to like lighten the mood. It's just you and the mix and, and the work that you've done and your ears start to die a little bit. And so uh, that, 
Yeah, go ahead. I, 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 d- d- definitely, I, I've been, I, I've been there. You know, you know I, I, I wrote a be- an article about this that comes out next month. That the like the the self doubt in time. You, you what it, what it is is it never goes away. Uh-huh. But you start just going, okay, I know this. It's a thing. It's not really real, but I gotta keep going. It's and a little bit like it's a little bit it. like schizophrenia. It feels like sometimes. Mm. Oh, and, and, you know, I, the, the other thing they show, though, in um, one of the scientific papers I read while researching my new book is they show that it's actually what usually drives people to do better creative work is like they say, like, the self-doubt and the analysis process, like the worse it is, that's usually what drives getting more uh, evolved pr- work in your life. And, like, I totally see it. it's like, you know, if like when I beat myself up about a, about a record, it's like it usually gets way better. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, like so people are like, oh, well, it's a good thing. But it's like, well, that's also what makes performers terrible is like when somebody is having a ton of self-doubt and self-consciousness and they're being shy on the vocal mic or they're like tensed up at the drum set. That's when they make terrible, terrible takes. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's something to confidence, too. And, and I think you get I think, you know, for the for the performer and I think for us as well. You know, I think that you get you you get I don't think the, the self-doubt will ever go away. In fact, I, I hope it doesn't because I think you're right in what you said. Mm. I think the self-doubt, I think it keeps us humble and keeps us working and keeps, you know, I think once we think we've kind of plateaued, I'm, I'm sure we get jaded. I'm sure that happens. And we, we stop growing as engineers. We stop trying new things. We kind of get set in our ways and set in our laurels and we, we just never evolve. And we don't get better. So I don't love this, the self-doubt, but in a way, mm-hmm. you know, I, I appreciate it for what it is because it does. It drives us to be better. And if it wasn't there, then I don't think we would. But I think, I think what you said is absolutely correct. It's a matter of, you know, we push through it. And it's when we push through it, when we deal with that self-doubt, we meet it head on. We push through it. We get through the project. First of all, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well, is that usually when you feel like things are terrible and your ears are dead and you feel like it's garbage, you go and listen to like one of, you know, you go and listen to another, like, how do I say this in the most like PC way possible? You go and listen to like another engineer, maybe a local engineer, you know, who mm-hmm. you go and listen to somebody else's work that you know is not as good as yours. Is that, mm-hmm. is that a nice way to put it? That's, um, that's fine. That's fine. Cause it's also just taste. Sure. Well, but then, you know, there's, I mean, you know, we all started off with, we, well, okay, I won't even go down that road, but you can go out, <laughs> you can listen to other, you can listen to other mixes. And a lot of times you'll find out this is, the, this is the crux of it is just that, you know, it's never as terrible as what you thought it was. You're always, yes. it, it, you always think it's terrible. And then you listen to something else and you're like, you know what? This is actually not that bad. It takes meeting that, that self-doubt and pushing through it to be able to reach that point, I think. I, I always say that I have an unfortunate affliction that when I don't hear something for a day or two, I think, and then when I'm coming back to the studio, I'm like, oh, that sounds fucking terrible. Your work's out for you. And then you mm-hmm. hit play and it usually sounds better. And I, I've even been having the same thing. I'm on a three week vacation from not reading my new book. And all I can think about is how fucking horrible <laughs> it looks. Da, 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 da. And then I like peeked at like the part that I was like, and then I'm like, Oh, this isn't half as bad as you remember. You just like, don't remember what's good. Yeah. And it's it, 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 that, that, that self doubt, you know, also just gets me in there and like going like, all right, we got to do this. We got to get, make this happen. You know, and I think that's just part of being an artist. I think if, I think if, if you're going to be creative, you, you have to be able to be honest with yourself and, and, and deal with that. I think it's just a part of it. And I, I think it, I think it, it can be for good or it could be for bad. I do want to say too, I just for clarification, I think I sounded really egotistical back there. I don't mean like I go out no, and I listen no. for other people that are terrible. I, I, I'm, I will tell anybody first 
that I'm the biggest YouTube graduate of audio engineering school. So like I, I, I know where I am as far as, you know, we all start someplace and we're all on a journey to get better. I don't think any of us ever reach it until we can't, we, we don't have the ears anymore to hear. And I think once, once our hearing starts, goes, starts going, once we get old enough that we just can't hear anymore, it's about then that I feel like I'll probably be confident enough in what I'm doing. Hey man, you could be Andy Wallace at 70 something, mixing the new a day to remember and still getting better. Which is crazy, right? The, well, I mean, Steve Evans has this had this great point that it's not actually about your hearing; it's about your listening. Okay, that you acquire a skill to listen better, not just hear music, and that's why. It, I mean, it's physically impossible for a seventy year old to have their hearing as good as it was when they were thirty. Uh huh. And like we all go through hearing depletion, but he obviously still knows how to listen really, really well. And they're two different things. I mean, and sometimes, mm-hmm. and I see that too sometimes when uh, I get a lot of guys that'll send me mixes and they'll ask me to listen to it. And I think, I know like in the past when I've sent stuff to other guys, I always get it back and it's always just, this is what's wrong and this is what's awful about your mix. It's never anything positive. Um, they, listen with a really, <laughs> they listen with a really critical ear, and, and which is great because, you know, it's good to throw stuff out and to get feedback, even if it hurts your feelings a little bit because it'll push you to be better. But one thing I always try to do when somebody sends me something is I try to switch over to listening mode instead of, well, maybe this is the opposite of what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I, I try to listen to other people's mixes from a standpoint of as a listener, like does it like not as a mix engineer, because I think as an engineer, we can get like way too into it. And sometimes things don't matter. Listening and, and, and what we like is so subjective. You know, what sounds good, to, what sounds good to you may sound awful to me and vice versa. Well, and I think it's also that too many times people get calling up on like, technicalities instead of does the emotion work in a song and that that those are two of the most different things is like people try to make everything perfect but making it perfect can sometimes take away from the emotion so are you trying to tell me that you know having the perfect snare is not going to make or break a a potential grammy award record well it's funny because i think like pop punk hardcore and metal are sometimes like a arms race of the fattest sounds and stuff like that but there's also records that that Literally, when you get the fattest sounds, it takes away from their emotion and it, you know, derives as that like this pulverizing kick takes away from the fact that the vocalist actually did a really great performance. And now you have this like gigantic kick eating up his space when you should have been making room for that vocalist to shine through. Like when I hear my mixes up against some test mixers, I sometimes see, you know, like, I'm like, wow, you know, I really went too far in on the drums when I should have concentrated that this guy was just killing it vocally and mm-hmm. things like that. And I think that there's there's always that thing of everybody's going to think about a song differently, so it's not always, like, what's right and what's wrong. It's like, did you do what was best to complement the emotion of the song? Because really, at the end of the day, that's all there is to like about a song anyway. And sometimes that's hard to do with a metal or hardcore mix because, you know, what is the what is the, the emotion here? A lot of times it's anger. And so everything does need to be, you know, cranked to 11 and slamming through your speakers. But yeah, I mean, you, you lose a little bit of that dynamic. And I think some of that, you know, you asked me earlier, you know, what are some of the things that I enjoy bringing, you know, to a production? And, and that's what I think... I think when I listen to music, one of the things I enjoy, I call it like the, I don't, I don't really have a name for this, but maybe I should trademark this, like the audio roller coaster. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, like I like to go on a journey during a song and I like to be taken places and I like for things to change a little bit. So if you can imagine a roller coaster, you know, you, you, you have your ups and downs and I like to, I like to experience that through a song. 
if your first verse and your second verse are the same exact sort of thing, just with different lyrics, it's a little boring. But I like I like to go from a first verse and when I get to the second verse, you know, after you, you start the first verse, you get to the chorus, it gets huger or more big, and then you come back down and you're uh, you're at the second verse. I like it to be a little different. Like maybe we add in a little bit of guitar, you know, like a little little riff over the top of it, or maybe we start doing chugs instead of, of big open chords to bring it down a little bit. But it's different. It's interesting, and I like that given that take throughout a song. And yeah, and sometimes when everything's like slammed to 11 or 12, you, you can't really, it's kind of hard to go on that, that little audio roller coaster, if you will. I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. this is a, uh, it's an old Robert Smith quote that kind of, that, that, that was the first time I heard that analogy. He talks about that and then that he likes records with different moods because it's like a uh, horror movie where there's still comedy and sex in it. And it's not just violence. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So let's skip back into the questions here what is one of the best moments you've had in the studio i think one of the best moments i've had in the studio was probably honestly it was probably back when i recorded like all i ever did with like one of my like my last bands we recorded an ep and uh, we thought we were going to go places had some stuff work out and just didn't um but i just remember going into the studio with with our producer back then and at the time he was just in his basement he now owns a, a really nice space out in salt lake city it just felt so magical going like the, to work with this guy who like understood things understood us that we kind of like vibe together and he just got it um, and just to be able to hear our music that we had written come to life, like that for me was, I mean, that's, that was the coolest thing. And I think maybe that, you know, going back to the whole, why did I get into recording or how did I, I think I draw a lot from that experience. Like I, I want to provide that experience for other people to be able to like have this mm. idea of what a song is or what, hear it in your head and then to help facilitate, you know, making that and having it come to life. If that makes sense. That does. I, I, I like that. How about one of the worst moments you've had and what you learned from it? You know, we, we, we definitely tried to like not have bad experiences. You know, we, we do this for fun. You know, it's why we do it. If we're not enjoying ourselves, then, you know, we shouldn't be doing it. And I, I don't know how to, maybe I don't know how to say this without it being taken wrong because I think it can easily be taken the wrong way. I think that like just not necessarily any one experience, but I think like the, the, the least positive experiences we have usually come from where we're not charging what we feel like we should be charging. And I feel like the the instinct there is to go, well, if I'm not getting paid enough for my time, then I'm not going to have a good time. And that's actually not at all what I mean by that. What I mean is a lot of times, you know, we'd all like to do this for free and for fun. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to work selling cell phones or you know working retail to pay my bills. I want to be able to continue to make music. And in order to do that, we all have to get paid. Um, and, and the band should be, too. You know, we all need we all all of us need to get paid. But what I mean by that is, you know, I think that when when bands come with a realistic budget, there's usually a, a more serious attitude about the music that they're going to do. The music is usually better. And and I don't I don't necessarily think it's it, it's not because it's a money, but for, there's something there where they're they're invested in it more, where it just provides for a better experience. So I think I think to answer your question, the, the, the least good experiences that we have are just when we don't charge what we feel like we should be charging. Because usually it means it, it's not about again it's not about the lack of money in my pocket it's more about you know what the brand what the band's bringing to the table it's usually not as fun of a project so I, I de de definitely agree with you that it's just also it's it's hard to uh, get as much motivation when uh, you can you sit there and you go hmm 
wow, I now have to uh, think about how I'm going to make the rest of my bills because I didn't devote the time to doing what I was supposed to be doing, which is pay my bills each month. Sure. Well, and like I said, too, you know, when, when a band comes with a realistic budget, you know, I think there's a respect there, too. I think, you know, they understand what you're doing and the, the investment that you've made into your studio and into to your craft. And, you know, if, if I think it just I think it's a I think it's a respect thing, I think. And it's just easier to work when when there's that mutual respect going on. I like that. So what's a great lesson you've learned from another producer? I, again, I think just having fun. I think, you know, when this becomes work and, and, and there are times when it is work where, you know, you 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 hit that wall, but you you also have that that, you know, you have that schedule that you have to meet or that deadline that you have to meet. And you just got to push through it. That's that it becomes a little bit of work. But I think when overall when making music starts becoming, you know, when it stops being fun, then I think you're doing something wrong. So I think some of my favorite producers that I that I look after, that I follow, and that I've worked with, or that I talk to, one of the things I always notice the common thread is just that they're they're having a good time. They love who they're working with. They love what they're doing. And we should, you know, I, I sit in a room surrounded by super cool toys. I invite musicians into my house, and we get to make music. Like we should be having a good time. So I think, yeah, just just to always have a good time doing what we're doing. I like that. So with that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead to the questions. Uh, give me three of your favorite producers. Okay, three of my favorite producers. This is tough because I, I I love... Sometimes I think in the music industry, we we kind of... We can be a little guarded and, and we can be a little egotistical because we, we want to protect our own and make a name for ourselves. But at the same time, I found a lot of great guys out there who are very open. They like, We want to share work with each other. We want to, you know, share information and, and help each other out. And, and, and I think maybe I think maybe what I expected when I got into music, at least this side of it, was that it was going to be more of the egotistical stuff. But really, like, I, it's just not been the case. Um, so there's a lot of guys that I really look up to and I think do really great work. I think I think Feldman and, and I realize I don't necessarily I don't want to work like he does. I, I don't want to rewrite. I don't want to rewrite anybody's songs, but I feel like everything that has his name on it, you know, it's going to sound great. It just is. It's going to sound phenomenal. I think Kyle Black right now is just just killing it. I think his production is just out of this world. I listened to some of the, you know some of the the records he's put out over the last few years, and like it's I could listen critically, and I'd be hard pressed to find anything I didn't like about it or I think was wrong or anything. He's just putting out some flawless mixes right now. And then a fellow noise creator who made me told me that I had to name drop him. Um, Ryan Dawson. I'm supposed to say that he's one of my favorite producers. He's got a little studio going in in Nashville, and I, he also and I, he probably he probably doesn't want to announce it, but I'm you know if he's going to make me you know say his name on here, then I'm going to announce it anyways. That he's I think he's getting ready to move to a new studio, like a new home studio. So I, you know I love that guy. He's a lot of fun. Um, he he'll Facetime me out of nowhere and and just loves to talk gear. And I think I just think he, I just love his attitude that he brings to to making music. So we'll throw him in there. Nice. So what's a perfect record somebody else has made, and what about it makes it perfect? I think what makes a perfect record is, and I I think I touched on this a little bit. Is just something that kind of takes you on a journey. Not I think I talked about it with a song, but I also like that with with an album too. You know I like. I love albums that I can listen from point A to point B, and it, it, it takes me someplace. And then when I get to the end of it, I can have it on repeat and start it all over. And and, and it just, does that make sense? Like, I, I love an album that it goes from beginning to end, and it all just kind of flows together. And there's some great so examples out there. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what's, what's an example of one? 
I think the Blue album from Weezer, I think, is probably like the earliest one I can think of. You know, I start that and, and it kind of takes me places. And I really I really think there's a OK, I could talk for hours about just the science of putting an album together. But one of the things that I love is just I can tell that there was some thought into what song should go where. And I love when I love when the end of an album is a little bit darker, a little sadder, a little more like mature, a little more thought out. I, I'm a sucker for like things like you get to the end of an album and they've got like the 10 minute song. I love that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm right, right, right there with you. I, I really I try to always convince bands. It's like go from lightest to darkest, go from, you know, the most fluffy to the most deeply mm-hmm. considered thought out emotions. Yeah. Grab their attention and then, you know, take them someplace. Don't start off with the heavy stuff. Let's ease into it. But let's get to, let's get there, though. Mm-hmm. So I love that stuff. So, yeah, I think I think Weezer, the blue album, at least as far as like the it may not be the best absolute my favorite record ever. But I, I definitely think it fits that category of it's a phenomenal record from start to finish. And it's one that you could put on repeat and just keep listening to. Nice. So the next question is, so five of your favorite records in your development uh over the years. Sure. I, I think, okay, so it's, it's kind of hard to, to answer what five of my favorite records are because our tastes change over time. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, some things that may make this list may not be something that I drive around my car listening to every day, but they they hold, like, a special place where in, in my life where I listen to that record all the time, and there's a point in time when I listen to it constantly, and so that's kind of where I came up with this list. I think, I think my all-time favorite absolute record to listen to is probably everything in transit by Jack's mannequin. Mm-hmm. I, I will throw Weezer the blue album on there. I think Cartel's Chroma sounds great, and it's another one of those that you can listen from beginning to. One of the things I love about that album is that they kind of take elements from earlier songs and throw them into the later songs. Like it may be like a yeah. part of a hook or something, but it kind of bookends the entire the entire thing as a project. So it's another one you can listen start to finish. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, it's incredibly well thought out record. Love that stuff. I'm a huge brand new fan. I think I think I know that's cliche to say, but I, I love uh, uh, you know, shockingly, I think because like a lot of people are older on this podcast that that, that doesn't get said much. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really. I, I, I think it's also usually too that there are a lot of the producer nerds have moved on past uh Past that, so I think you might be the first person, maybe the second person to say brand new. I, you know, I don't think sonically they're ever like the greatest sounding records, but I, I don't listen to them for the production. I listen to them, you know, and, and I think this kind of goes into my philosophy as an engineer. And I'm kind of getting off this one of my five favorite records thing, but I think that I think a song supersedes everything. It's like, I don't care how great something sounds, if the song is great, I'll listen to it. If it sounds great, but it's a terrible song, I don't want to listen to it. So, you know, I don't think Brand New's production is ever the most phenomenal. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's anything to like, I I just, I don't think it's the greatest thing ever, but the songs I think are fantastic. So that's what pulls me in. I'm going to say Dejan Tondu. I think a lot of people will say Devil and God, which I love, but I think Dejan Tondu just, I'm going to put it above that one because again, it's one of those records. It kind of takes me places and I can start from beginning to end and then start it over and I'm right back in it. And then, uh... I think the last one I'll probably say, and this this is going to maybe date me just a little bit. I, I, this is another band that I don't, I don't drive around listening to, but it, it made a big difference to me as far as like my development goes. And that's Nevermind by Nirvana. I just, I grew up as a, as a Nirvana fan. I was a nineties kid. I, I love them back in the nineties. And I think, I think it's not, obviously it's way too produced for probably Kurt's taste, but the, that album obviously was special. 
was it Butch Vig that did that one? But Butch Vig and Andy Wallace. Yeah, they killed it. I mean, it's I mean, mm-hmm. it's just I mean, it's it's a timeless record. And yeah, I mean, I can throw it in and it just takes me right back to being in high school again. So nice. Uh, how about the record that's been in your favorite record of recent times? Man, so I love that pop punk is coming back. I feel like it went away for a little bit and and it makes me feel I'm not old. I'm 33 years old, but it makes me feel a little bit like I can hang with the 20 year olds again. It makes me want to like go start up a MySpace account and pick my top eight. And I, I love that <laughs> shit. I love it. <laughs> oh, I don't ever long for that. <laughs> Life was it was simpler back then. So simpler, simpler until you read the crazy bulletin board post of somebody having an emotional breakdown, or somebody like shows up in a white van out front of your house and that you met on MySpace and not at all. It was like the beginning of catfishing too. There's definitely some oh, yeah, negative yeah, stuff that yeah. came from that, but. Man, being in a band back in those days was great because it was just like social media was just starting and like you could really capitalize and network on it. Now I feel like in social media, this I, I almost feel bad for bands anymore because how do you get mm. through the noise? There's just so much it, going on uh, out there. I think in the last two years, the the the, uh, the noise has gotten to the point like uh, Johnny from Noise Careers, I were talking about uh, like that. It's like it's now hit the point that it's like, I don't even know what you do as a band that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like that doesn't have a fan or exist in fan base. It's one thing if you're already established, but if you're a new band, like, oh, I feel so bad for trying to figure out how you break through that. Yeah. People ask me that all the time. And I'm like, I, you know, the only thing I know that that still works is just making great connections because you can be mm. you can be a fantastic band and you can have your the look together your social media and stuff like that at the end of the day you know if you don't know the right people it's not going to go anywhere and nobody's going to you know, i think sometimes too people think that if you're going to you can go play at a local bar and that there's going to be like a record exec there that's going to be there happen to be there that night and he's going to sign you to a record deal and that thing just does it just doesn't exist anymore no so i can't can't think of the last t- time i heard about somebody getting signed from uh, them having to be at the bar that night oh it never happens never happens Florence, Florence and the Machine. Maybe that story. That's about it. I haven't heard that, but I know who she is, and maybe well, I need to look she, into she, that. She, appear, she apparently was uh, singing in, singing in the bathroom stall, and the guy found her. That just doesn't happen anymore. That's crazy. That does not happen anymore. So that um, doesn't answer your your question at all, and I'm sorry about that. I got to go off on <laughs> tangents. Well, all right. So 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 answer the question. Now. Okay, let me answer the question. Favorite record of, of like recent history. You know, like I said, okay, so going back to the pop punk thing, I love this resurgence of pop punk. And I think, I mean, State Champs is killing it right now. I think Around the World and Back is, I, I think, like I said earlier, Kyle Black is just doing a killer job. I love that album. It's so much fun. To, it's the summer. I love to roll my windows down, throw that album in, and just crank it up. I love that shit. Nice. So our last question is, uh, what have you been working on lately? All right, so we just built a new studio. Literally, as we were like labeling our patch bay, we had our first band come in, like for like to 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 record here in the new space. Um, it's a band called Northbound. They're out of Florida, and I saw them open up for State Champs. Um, and actually, I went to go see Hit the Lights. I'm a big, huge Hit the Lights fan, and so we went to go see them in Nashville. And Northbound opened up for them, and they just they I think they killed it that night. Their their harmonies were on. They looked like they were having fun. I thought, hey, I want to go record these guys. And so we kind of just sent some emails around and found out we knew their their manager. And a year later, here they were helping us break in our new studio. So we're working on that. Just finished tracking. I, we actually were tracking here. Ran out of time. They had to leave. Um, we still needed to do some vocals. So we actually went down to Florida. We were going to go down there anyways. Met up with John, the singer. Just set up like a little mobile rig and recorded um, down at a house that we, we stay in down there. 
So we finished up vocals, now we're going through the mixing process and we're trying to decide between do we want this to sound super sugary and processed or do we want it to sound raw and real and or maybe someplace in the middle. So we're going through that and working through it, but we're getting there and songs are great and things sound great. So that's what we're working on and excited for it to come out. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 